0: Welcome to The Wave, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and life after 40. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Emily Peck, a business reporter at Axios and co-host of Slate Money. And I'm joined by the one, the only, Tavi broduser Ackner, a writer for The New York Times Magazine, known for celebrity profiles of everyone from Gwyneth Paltrow to Tom Hanks to Bradley Cooper, and the author of the 2019 best-selling novel Fleischman is in Trouble, which just debuted as a TV series on FX. You can watch it on Hulu. Taffy, I'm so happy to talk to you today on the Waves. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I had a whole long thing written out describing the show and why I want to talk about it. But then I was like, let me just ask Taffy to do that. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So maybe you could just sort of like give us the premise for the show and sure. then why you think it's a good thing to talk about it on, on a f- podcast about feminism. OK. Yeah. is in Trouble
1: is a TV show from a book about a man who is luxuriating in his first post-divorce summer of app-assisted sexual freedom when his ex-wife drops the kids off a day ahead of his custodial weekend and then doesn't pick them up. He looks for her, finds out where she is, makes peace with the fact that she doesn't seem to be coming home, and tries to figure out how he could have done things differently, how his marriage could have gone differently or any permutation of the
0: above. <laughs> All right. And I mean, for my point of view, it's about divorce. It's about like r- life doesn't end after 40 kind of a thing. It's about midlife crisis, crisis. It's like about it's like, yeah, crisis,
1: like midlife crises and middle age and lifelong friendship and nostalgia. Like the th- you hear about midlife crises a lot. I know from being on a lot of podcasts that that's how you say it. <laughs> Thank you. you. You hear about midlife crises a lot, but you don't really – I did not feel that I had ever read much about what are the ingredients of the crisis, right? Like what, what exactly happens? I was always told that it, it was about a man who feels the hot breath of relevance on his neck. And gets a sports car Mm -hmm. and marries a cocktail waitress. Like that was the story we were given when we were in the 80s and 90s. And you got a Porsche and you start wearing aviator sunglasses. Right, And that's how it goes for you. Um, (laughs) And until I woke up on the day of my 40th birthday, I never truly understood that the active ingredient of the midlife crisis is not. The amount of time you have looking forward, but the amount of time you have looking back.
0: I'm going to pause right there. We're going to get into that coming up on The Waves. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm here with Taffy brodesser Ackner. Taffy, in your book, Fleischman is in Trouble, now a series on FX and Hulu, there are several characters, including Libby, having essentially a midlife crisis, right? Everyone is. Everyone is in trouble
1: in this, in this. Everyone is having some form of a crisis in this book and the show, which is what brings them together in the first place.
0: And the reason to talk... to frame it through divorce is because divorce what is sort of like this cataclysmic event that inspires the midlife crisis or divorce you have one because you're having
1: No, I think it's that divorce asks you to redefine your life and Ooh. I think it's a reckoning for a lot of people to figure out what what have I done and am I willing to live with the consequences of it for the duration whoever you married, it limits your choices for the future. Marriage limits your choices, but also not getting married limits your choices for the future. And I think Fleischman exists at the moment where you realize that everyone is so completely fucked because there was
0: no good way to do this. To do adulthood. Yeah. One character is getting divorced, one is is married, but kind of questioning. She's not questioning her marriage. She's
1: questioning whether or not no longer recognizing herself if it was marriage that was the element that did it.
0: And the reason she no longer recognizes herself, because I, I feel like it's it's understood that had she been a man in the industry of her choosing, it would have gone much differently for her. Then right? she'd be having a different kind of crisis, right? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't think anyone escapes this. My big question, I guess, is why take us through this Toby Fleischmann journey, right? He's kind of like the main character of this story, but it feels like he sh- it ha- the story in now now we can say mm-hmm.
1: has a revolving main character, right? It goes from Toby to Rachel to ultimately Libby,
0: mm-hmm. where
1: we find out why she was telling the story in the first place. And Libby is in in Mike's if you look at it as something I wrote From the standpoint of someone who's writing profiles and who's a journalist, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm very concerned with questions of authorship, not whether or not someone's an author. But how is the story changed by the person who is telling it? How do you see events when presented with them, depending on who you are on that day? Mm-hmm. And it, and how you're feeling, right? I did a profile of a chef once who told me that he's not he would never write a cookbook or he didn't write a cookbook because recipes are so faulty because they Try to recreate the same experience over and over Mm -hmm. when really food changes depending on how you feel that day, what you just ate, what's going on with you hormonally, what your mood is like, if you're angry at your children. Like everything changes, which is why you can make the same recipe over and over and have different experiences with it. I think that stories are like that, too. I think that I've told stories through the lens of what was going on in my life. And the answer to your question is, why make Toby the main character of the story? Okay. Two reasons. Um, One is because I wanted this to be a sort of echo of the kind of book I grew up with, the Philip Roth, John Updike story of the recently heartbroken man in crisis. Mm -hmm. And, And I... I think we're at an age where we either create something original or subvert the thi- – originally subvert the thing that existed. That's what I wanted to do. But the second reason is is worse, is awful. The second reason is because when I turned 40 and my friends started coming to me and telling me that they were divorced to the point where if I hadn't heard from someone in a while, I knew that they were going to call me to tell me that they were divorced. <laughs> like this – it was like – it's so funny um, – I, you know, I grew up in a religious household, and I went to a yeshiva, and there was something I always remember the rabbis telling me, which was that you weren't allowed to learn mysticism till you were 40, because 40 is the age of wisdom. Like, you have to accumulate all your knowledge, and at 40, something happens where suddenly you have wisdom. God, it was true. <laughs> but I wonder if all those people who just woke up and were like, oh, wait, this isn't right, and they left their marriages – my friends would show me their phones both male and female and the men w- were having this amazing experience of sexual renewal on these mm-hmm. apps and the women if if they could get any action were it was so miserable again my friends from mm-hmm. where i'm sitting perhaps apps have worked for women above 40 um for other people but I remember a friend of mine coming to my house to change before a date, and I was like, "Can I see it? You know, I'm writing this book. Can I see? Can I see who this guy is?" Yeah. And she showed me this sort of fine, okay guy, and his his like the body of the description was. My, my wife was a narcissist and a nightmare, and if you're someone who likes to play games, please move on from this. But um, if you're not you know, swipe whatever direction you swipe in Mm -hmm. to, you know, say yes. And it was so (laughs) horrible. And I said to her, what, like, which part charmed you the most? (laughs) And she was, she's like, this is what there is. And she's like, I don't know. I don't like to be like, she's so pretty. And, you know, she's like so nice. And she's so kind. And she's not controversial in any sort of, superficial way that you would expect would make the Pickens slim. And I felt like you're going to write a book. Do you want to start it with the glory of volume? Or do you want to start it with the misery of scarcity? And that's, But it was mostly that I was starting from the point of view of this kind of novel that I grew up loving. And that I grew up not questioning. I don't, lo- I don't love admitting this, but whereas so many of my peers looked at those stories and saw misogyny in them and saw dismissal of women in them and saw a sort of absence of women in them, I-, I I was late to that. I was very late to that. And I always had a little bit of shame. But once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. I grew up thinking all that writing was the best writing and I never questioned that the women were total narcissists or shrews. crazy True and crazy yeah, yeah yeah oh I'm totally with you and I think in the show there's a scene um, where the Libby character Lizzie Kaplan goes to a reading of like her beloved mm-hmm. the beloved Archer Sylvan uh, yes, yes played by Christian Slater yes. which genius move <laughs> um, and it's just like he's just this misogynist POS. Like it's just disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, those are the men I was taught as a Gen X. Yeah. These are the geniuses. I can never and and I think deep inside, never admitted out loud. I was like, well, I'll never be that. I can never be a successful writer because I'm I I, I'm not a dude like that. I tried a lot. I went to GQ. I
1: really I was I and I feel like what I learned from there is not. I wasn't trying to be a dude. It's that I saw that the men writing for magazines like that were the only writers who were really free. Like I was mm-hmm. I was I started out as a freelancer and I would write for women's magazines and women's magazines were trying so hard to assert control over their audience. You have to be on a diet. You have like the men's magazines never mentioned that. They were just trying to tell you interesting stories about the things you should know, which you would say, like, why isn't that just a person's magazine? Because the men demanded entertainment and and knowledge. And the women, the women, we I as a willing subscriber to first teen magazines and then women's magazines like was I'm so shocked at who i became because now i look back on the like those magazines were telling me what to do and what mm-hmm. was acceptable and how to go from day to night and how like thin i should be and how miserable i should be if i were and like they didn't inform me that much and the when they did inform me it was to control me it was about calories it was about birth control and the writing when they would tell me what to write not all these magazines a lot of them especially when you write a personal essay they allowed you to speak in a voice similar to yours but when you would write a reported story it was always write as if I am the slightly older best friend who knows just a little more than mm. the reader like and at gq i could just be myself I had no imperative other than to tell the best version of a story and it left me not with like these guys were misogynists it left me with this is where you get to be free why are men allowed to be free
0: yes and in both in both formats the woman is not a whole person right and there's then- no way
1: for a woman to ever just have her do and when and when she does all we get are treaties on on likability. It's never, you know, it's never as on the nose as she's unlikable. It's a story about characters who are unlikable, or it's discussed in a review in ways of being liked. It's interesting to me to see some reviews of Fleischman discuss. Toby being likable, and I wonder if it's because I'm a woman. Nobody ever asked if Nathan Zuckerman was likable. Oh my god! (laughs) Like, but you know, Toby Fleischman—is he likable in in the way he's caring for his children? Is he likable? I think I think, (laughs) I think Toby's even good. I'm saying good reviews talk about that. Right. It's a metric that I never had to deal with before.
0: How do you think about that in your journalism and your writing? Because you write profiles of women, right? And so, and now you know, maybe we didn't know before growing up, but now you know that we judge women differently based on like ability, all that right. stuff. So, how do you bring that to the table when you're like writing a profile of Gwyneth Paltrow, the the woman who you know no one likes or everyone likes or whatever it is?
1: Gwyneth is a very set is very separate from all of them because I felt that. What I wanted to contend with was why people have such strong feelings about her. And the answer was because the way she presents herself is a mirror that reflects yourself back at you, which is where resentment comes from, right? Like most women work so hard to show you how much they're like you. And she doesn't need to do that. She's like, no, I'm not eating a hamburger. I'm not tucking into this booth and ordering a quadruple cheeseburger just so that and say and shrugging and saying I have good genes. <laughs> I am saying I work really hard for my body and my health and my skin. That's why she so naturally became a a wellness business person, because she was already doing this. She was already reflecting us back to ourselves. However, the other women I just don't think in terms for men or women of whether or not I like them. I think only of what they are trying to tell the world. Like the style of interview I do is not really an interview. It is a lot of listening because I think that when you get to people who are super duper famous, they I'm I'm so interested in their interaction with fame and what they feel The way I use my access is to figure out what they feel misunderstood about, because that's the most interesting thing. And that is also what I think is the truest thing I could get at. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, you know, you write these quotes down and you hope they're true and you hope they didn't just say that. But I think the true things they talk about in general are how their lives are changed by being who they are which is different from tell me about that fight we know you had with your husband don't put people in a defensive crouch listen to them and they and once they see that you're listening they'll tell you everything you need to know and what i find is when you're listening people will tell you how weird this all is for them and how they feel misunderstood and don't really have a way of Like some piece of press before you got there took on an outsized life of its own in their head or in the world. And so I don't think I I differentiate between men and women that way. But I do look very hard for stories about women where the woman isn't just talking about how hard it was to become someone who got a profile in the first place. A man... Talks more about his soul, and a woman talks about the struggle, and the struggle is always the same. It was hard. They people dismissed you. It took gumption, and I guess I'm, I'm more someone more interested in in a, a good story, and those stories aren't always as interesting. So, the story I'm looking for is not how did you get here? It's what happened to you once you were here. And so I resist a woman telling me how she got here.
0: We're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Taffy and myself on another topic, check out our Sleep Plus segment. Today, Taffy and I are going to continue our conversation about Fleischman is in trouble. We're going to talk about why being empathetic can make people mad, Toby's eating disorder, and more. You won't want to miss it. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money. That's my show. And of course, this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash plus. Welcome back to The Waves, Taffy. Let's talk about another big theme in the show, ambition, and how marriage screws it up or can screw it up. The premise of this show is how could it be that growing
1: up and becoming more of an adult resulted in, like the metrics of adulthood, partnering, parenting, having a job, those things limit your choices. So where does your ambition go when your choices become limited? And who is allowed to say what should be good enough for us? You know, you have someone who is narrating the story who quit her job, who's allowed to be a stay at home mother, which you would call a privilege. Or you, no, you would call it a privilege. You would call it a privilege that she was able to make that choice, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: But you would also call it a lot of other things. And there is this, we talk about the patriarchy a lot it's not the patriarchy that is insisting that I that the only way m- my kids can get a play date is if I go to a mom's night out. That's not the patriarchy. It's like the matriarchy. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, you know, I just had this premiere for this show. And instead of spending the weekend like before it, just sort of processing the fact that this three-year thing that Actually, is five years because the book was published from when from when I started writing the book is like done. And like I spent I spent that weekend having hair ripped out of my body, my roots colored. I got my nails done for the first time since my book tour. And I'm like, oh, he's so skeptical of things that make it so that you can't. Use your hands Mm. or your time is taken up like in one like you're stuck in one place.
0: You do it because there are unspoken rules about how you feel. And who
1: gave us those rules? So we talk about like my husband is totally fine with my hair being gray. Um, It's my mother who has asked Mm -hmm. that I never let her see my gray hair, that I can do whatever I want after she's gone. And that's my literal matriarchy. But I do think that like. (laughs) The way a lot of my choices were limited also by other women, the things I have to do at night, the emails I have to return, the text messages I have to put a thumbs up or a heart on are all from other women. And I guess the question is, is like is that what we wanted? Like, are we happy to go to the mom's night out? Or what are we saying? Like, do we want to just maybe lie in bed? And watch TV by ourselves? Do we wanna to go to a movie? Like the Mom's Night Out is always the same thing. It's this cocktail y thing with with, you know, blousy tops and jeans and heels and and it's kind of the room where it happens in my experience. Like oh, yeah. it's how you find out who's where you're supposed to play soccer. Like I've always felt like a little bit like I hover right outside the flame of information in terms of parenting and in those rooms is where the flame of information is. And they're all wonderful people that all agree to have this night out. But it's a night it's a night of my life.
0: Yeah. And it's a whole it's a whole system that you sort of have to play a role in if you want. And I I, and it prizes people who don't work in the not Claire. Claire Danes's character. Rachel, and, yeah. Rachel in the story because it's like she wants to achieve a certain level of status in part so her kids have play dates yeah. so she can fit in. Yeah. And I totally relate to that. The information lockout is is real and your husband cannot get in.
1: He cannot get in. And it's a system that rewards women who don't work because they can be together during the day. They can volunteer at the school together. They can um, carpool in a way that you all you can't always, and then they're doing you a favor, and and everyone who's done me a favor is so nice, mm-hmm. but that's not the same as fitting in. It's mm-hmm. not the same as being part of things. It's
0: the whole school school system too that sets it up so parents have to volunteer. and right. There's this whole like side network of information that you have to tap into. You can't just send your kid to school and be like, oh, that's set. Right. No. It's not. Oh, it's very upsetting. It's very and I was upsetting. glad to see it in the story and. And I guess my question to that is, like, does that hold, did that hold you back, at your ambition? I mean, that's a whole other job that, you know, a mother will have to do. It held my children back. You know, it didn't hold me back. It held my children back. And
1: this is how I always, you know, the Princess Bride, you know, in their their fire swamp. Mm -hmm. And he pulls him, like, they sink into the quicksand. And you think they're gone. And then he pulls himself out with her attached her on his back Uh and they're like screaming for air that's how I always felt about every single day like that I would get it done despite the constraints but now that I look back on it because I can look back on it because my kids are taking themselves to practices and stuff I think actually no I should have put more time in I should have I should have spent more time with these women who, who spent time with each other. I should have driven my kids. I sh- I mean, I always like to say that I never really missed a basketball game, but that's that's my value, their value, my kids' value would have been. Can you please like go get nail art put onto your fingers so that you can. Like, that we can go out to dinner with you, with our friends. Like, there's a point at which, especially in the suburbs, like, they don't invite your kids because they don't like you. Oh,
0: my God. That breaks my heart. We should say, I guess, that, Taffy, you were living in the, the suburbs in New Jersey. I was living recently. in the suburbs
1: of New Jersey until about a year and a few months ago. And a large part of writing the book and the television show was to be able to leave financially to be able to leave
0: um it seems like you're living the life that the character of Libby in the show would really be excited about i
1: think so but i it's funny i think i look a lot like libby but i i really you could say that maybe i subconsciously made myself so into a libby character So that you couldn't tell that I was really either Rachel or Toby. Yeah. You know, like, I think she would be very happy back in the city. Yeah, But she would still find that she had children and a husband and that today there's a basketball game at 630. And I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for everyone who stays home, who doesn't stay home. It's hard for everyone. Everyone has a complaint. Not everyone writes a book about their complaint.
0: Taffy brodesser Akner is a writer, journalist, and creator of the new show Fleischman is in Trouble. Taffy, thank you for being on The Waves. Emily, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And that's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer of Audio at Slate. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of Audio at Slate. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. Thank you so much for being a Slate Plus member. And since you're a member, you get this weekly bonus segment. And this week, Taffy and I are continuing our chat about divorce, midlife, and all the crises in between. Just going back to this notion of people feel misunderstood, now I'm thinking of Fleischman in Trouble through that lens. And it does seem like it's all this slippery slope of people not being understood. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what the whole book was about. The book was about
1: when I was sitting there listening to all of these men. I went through a a swath of people who um, male actors who are in their 50s who are divorced from a prominent first wife. Now they're on their second wife who probably was in their service somehow before mm-hmm. and they've a whole new set of kids and they get to do it all over again. And they talk about how happy they are now and they were, how miserable they were before or how even or how horrible they were before, but now they're they've done some healing and they're able. I always think about the women in that story, like mm-hmm. the unspoken woman. Like what would she say if she were here and how come she doesn't get a second chance with a whole new set of kids in her 50s? That was just what was interesting to me the idea of who we listen to and how we empathize and the i also the idea profile wise that whoever story you're telling we will empathize with naturally i remember like the period of time after trump was elected and everyone was so angry at the media you didn't cover the rest of the country so then people started doing like profiles of like a guy who voted for Trump, or a guy like a right wing guy, and people become enraged. Mm-hmm. Why were they enraged? They asked for this coverage. They were enraged because the minute you start telling the story, someone's story, over their shoulder on their behalf, you are expressing empathy, causing the reader to feel empathy, and the reader doesn't always want to feel empathy.
0: Some of the feminist writing, I think, demonizes men where that's not necessary. Like in Fleischmann, I. I think you hoist him on his own petard a little bit. Like It is very empathetic towards him, but ultimately, when you shift the perspective, your perspective on him shifts. Because no one thinks they're—I heard an interview with you where you were talking about soap operas where— the cast, you're either like a good guy or a bad guy in the soap opera, but that's not how real life works. So right. it totally makes sense if you profile someone who is, quote unquote, a bad person because whatever, they voted for Trump or right all this other stuff. It doesn't actually mean they're a bad person. And then it, everything gets so complicated. Everything is complicated. People are complicated. I don't think that anybody is
1: – I mean, it's hard to say that in, in this era. Like there are bad people, but we don't really interact with them on a day-to-day basis. Right. There are mostly people who are complicated and they're mostly, I think social media and especially Twitter is something that in my experience forces people to want to appear good all the time yes whereas i don't think that it was even a value before like you wanted to be yourself like we we were like a country that trained children to be themselves and then we brought out social media and we're like except people will <laughs> descend on you and 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 eat you alive if you are yourself or if you make a mistake mm-hmm. we're a country that played free to be you and me and said it's all right to cry and it's all right to make mistakes but it wasn't true the
0: minute you were on social media, it flattened. I really want to dig into Toby Fleischman's eating disorder. Sure. So here's how I see it. I've never seen anything or read anything like this about a man. A man. A, a Jewish man. Uh-huh. I mean, although I, my father. Anyway, we could talk about my father later. Um,
1: <laughs> I hope we do. Okay.
0: But he, he basically won't eat any. He's like right out of the 90s. Won't eat any fat. His favorite meal is... Chicken breast with vegetables, no oil. No sauce, no oil. The waitress says to him, "Do you want hash browns or French fries with your egg white omelet?" Of course, and he laughs. laughs. He's, he's like, what? <laughs> what <are you> <laughs> and no bread. No, no bread. <laughs> and it's so wild. Isn't you know, you Jesse Eisenberg great? Yeah, he does. It. He pulls that off so well. I believed it. It, it is always. wild. And also, he's not super skinny either. He's a lovely-looking gentleman, but he's not like. He looks just regular.
1: In the book he was fat as a kid. Right. And we even shot a scene that didn't make it in because the episode it needed to be in was already very long. Of like he he, he comes from a place of never feeling adequate. He was a fat kid. And so he holds tight to the thing, the eating disorder the diet he learned about mm. that made him not fat. I, I thought I, too, had never seen it on a man and was interested. Because I do know men who have their eating
0: things. Do you not? Oh, yeah. Like I said, I grew up with my father. He had so many various eating things. In the 80s, he discovered whole wheat pasta, thought it was the answer to everything. Oh, so at every meal, I remember that. my mother would have to make him a separate dish of the whole wheat spaghetti for your father because he's he's eating that now. <laughs> decided he's only going to eat fruit, except for his bagel in the morning. What? <laughs> Stuff like that, like it was. Banana. But do you ever
1: go to the diners and see the like the diet menu that oh, never changes? It's the like cottage cheese. It, it's like it's no. It's like <laughs> a hamburger with cottage yes! cheese and jello. Yes, <laughs> like like it's an it's a it's a diet corner. It's like calorie corner or whatever mm-hmm. it is that has not read. Any literature since it was printed in 1950.
0: <laughs> but that's Toby Fleischman, too. His Diet Corner is more, you know, the fat free era. It's fat free, but also no carb. No, right. It's no low bread. fat, no carb. No bread. Yeah. I thought that was, yeah, I love that you did that. And, and and his wife is like, can we just eat some goddamn food? I know, I know. Can we have something with caloric content? Yeah. So I could live. <laughs> That's feminist in its way, I think. I think so. I think her not being affected by it is yeah. great. I like this um, thread in the book and in the show, and I've listened to interviews with you elsewhere, where it's like a divorce doesn't just happen to two people. It happens to the whole community, yeah. and it like really messes with people's heads. Yeah. So like you see in the pilot of the show another woman coming up to him and talking. He's not even listening to her. And the narrator, Libby, is saying like, everyone just wants to know, can this happen yeah. to me? It's like when someone tells you they have cancer and you're mm. like, were you eating organic? Like the <laughs> questions, it's terrible. You should, if someone tells you they're ill, yeah
1: think about your questions um, and make sure they are not reflections of you. I've seen it so many times.
0: Well, it's the same with divorce if someone's telling it's me.
1: A, absolutely. Don't you shouldn't, do, you
0: should express empathy and not make it about yourself. Yes. I wanted to ask you also. You said it in the 2016 world yeah. before, in the before times, before Trump won the election. Yes. And there's all this, like, I'm with her signage. Yeah. And there's that feeling of, like, well, she's going to win. Yeah. Why why? why? why take us back there? That's very a great question. And it
1: is because that's when I wrote the book. And <laughs> a lot of it is – a lot of it I remember – writing in my coffee shop in New Jersey and seeing all these people come in with these t-shirts and they were so, and pantsuits, and so self-assured. And it didn't seem to me that my husband kept saying, you know, he's, he he might actually win. And I would say to him, come on, that couldn't be true. And he was right. But also, you know, things have changed since 2016. Like the the era, like you think it's recent, you think 2016 is recent. But if you notice, the yoga shirts or the workout shirts no longer say, like, like your workout is my warm up. They say, be kind. They are a reaction to the times. They're like, they're like pre cogs, post cogs, they're like reactions. So a lot has changed since then. I felt like the thing I was writing about, which you haven't asked me about, so I'm going to mention it. The the fact that so much of what the divorces have in common, I find, is that the women out earn the men. And it's not necessarily given as a reason why we're why we're getting divorced, but it's kind of there in a lot of the divorces that I'm seeing, and I think it's because we're at this very strange time where men were told and women were told when they were young that girls could do anything. Everyone cheered it on. And these men ended up with wives, whom they are supportive of. But the wives, realizing they could do anything, go out and do do things, believed it, and came back with full careers, their own crises of balance and The men who were good feminists, they just want to know, like, what about me? Like, they don't have a cultural memory of a father being supportive of a mother's ambitions. They have a memory of a father coming home to dinner. And you could be as evolved as anyone. But if you have those memories, all you want to know is where's dinner? Where's my martini?
0: You know? That is so true because women were told they could do anything. Men have always just known that and assumed that they were gonna do anything. Yeah. And they were never taught anything different. And they didn't know that their doing anything was was rested on a the back of the woman. On the back of the woman. Yeah. And there's like there's one scene, um, in one of the episodes of the wonderful show, Fleischman is in trouble, um, where she comes back and she's telling him a story, um, the Claire Dane's character Toby Fleischman's ex-wife but this is a scene where they're married and she's coming home and she tells him about like she's basically like sexually harassed at work yeah and he can only think of it in terms of but I've met that man how could he do that to yeah, me yeah it was like yeah no empathy for, for what she's or saying. he's just shocked and he's like this first
1: reaction I'll defend him here and say his first reaction is like can you like but he knows me. Like, what does it say about me <laughs> yes. that he would do this? But then she's like, can we focus on how this happened to m- m- the this happened to me part? Yeah. And he like, I think people are human. And that's like, he's trying. He's mm-hmm. a character sure. who is trying. But you're right. Like, he can only see it through that lens.
0: To just take it out. like, They ended most, up divorced. Most of the divorces you're seeing the women out earn the man like what? It's just not – the framework of marriage was not meant to accommodate that. The framework
1: of marriage is meant to accommodate an agreement where you do this and I'll do that. What if you're both doing the that? Mm. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And And it's not for money and it's not for – it's for fulfillment. It's for – it's because you want to fall into bed exhausted from creating something at the end of the day because we've – Anyone who has sat in a playground and watched their child play has, has stared into the eye of existence and wondered what they're doing here. <laughs> and that is, it's, it is hard. It is hard to stare down the barrel of your child, your children's childhood and wonder what happens to you at the end of it. Oh, yes. Or what happens
0: to the thing you were in the middle of when they arrived. Why is it on you? And one more thing for the men I'll say is like even if it's like you're both doing that, even if the man agrees he's going to do the this, yeah, the framework does not accommodate. Right. They will never just let, no. let that be, speaking from personal I, I, experience. I, the school still calls. I remember the school calling me, and I'm in New York City. My kids are 45 minutes away. Yeah. No, an hour away on the train yeah. to come pick up your daughter. Yeah. She's sick. Did you call my husband? No. Nope but he's right there. He's 2 minutes away.
1: My husband dropped off my kids at the school in New Jersey every single day. And one day, and they, so they knew him. And one day I was going to Russia for a story. Mm-hmm. And I said, "I if you need me, I you have to call my husband." I told everyone. And I can't remember if it was the school or for something after school, but my son had a had a uh, an asthma attack and they called me and I was like, I'm in Russia. It's the <laughs> middle of the night. No- like, they're like, it was, it was really something how burned in and when I was on production. In
0: Russia. Could, could, it, when I can't I, get him the inhaler in time. I know. I know. Can you, <laughs>
1: when I was, I mean, when I was in production on this television show, people would call me from their new school in in the city mm. and I would not even begin to fathom like who this person was or what the issue, like I didn't know who the teachers were. Like I spent the, like you're working 15 hours a day in production. My husband did all of it. And again, everyone was your husband. Ah, oh, well, we've never met you. My husband was a class parent. My husband did a lot of things, but this, idea, it was, it seemed like a new idea. It keeps seeming like a new idea, even though there are so many professional women in the school. How could everyone be the anomaly?